motivated? Get educated. Get growing your property empire with the How To Property Podcast with your host, Ryan Luke. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today, I am super excited to have uh, Chris Morn, who is a, uh, what's the best way, a high-flying um, south of France <laughs> resident who rents out super yachts and super villas to celebrities and um, is well-averse in the short-term rental space, uh, founder of the IPRAC uh, trust model system, which we'll no doubt touch on to. So, uh, Chris, super excited to have you on the podcast, and I'm sure the listeners are going to um, really get a lot of value from this episode. Okay, yeah, pleasure to be here, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me on. So, a bit, bit of background. Uh, Chris and I literally met a few, probably about a month or so ago now, on Clubhouse uh, as we were doing the, the Airbnb 24-hour marathon, and um, it became apparent that we're both from the same region. So uh, the accents kind of give that away. Uh, but Chris has, well, Chris, do you want to tell me you, you, you've moved to south of France? How did you end up there? What took you there? And why have you stayed there? Yeah, okay. Well, originally I'm from Durham. And I used to work for Bannatine's health clubs, Duncan Bannatine. I was his number two. And so I managed all of the, I oversaw all of the operations in, uh, in the northeast, Darlington, Durham, Newcastle, Quayside clubs. And he decided that he wanted to try to build a health club down in the south of France in a place called Antibes, which is just outside of Cannes. And I came down here to do all the, you know, the research, the due diligence. And that took about seven months. And then we realized that that wasn't going to happen with all of the French charges and different things. It just didn't stack up. And then he kind of said to me, OK, no problem. Let's get yourself back to Darlington, which after seven months and <laughs> living, living in the south of France, that kind of came a bit of a, you know, I was like, no, I've got a decision to make here. Um, sharing an office with him. Don't get me wrong, I learned a lot from him, but he was a hard man to work for. And then I just decided, I said, no, you know what? There's a gap in the market down here for a real high-end corporate, you know, um, short-term rental agency. So I took the plunge and I just said, you know, no, I've decided I'm not going to come back and I'm going to, and I'm going to stay here, and that was it, and started the journey. So that was 20 years ago. Duncan Bannatine was my neighbour, next well, door neighbour. Was he where? Which because he's he's got a few houses. So I mean, yeah, well, well at, at uh, Winyard when he. Ah, um, Winyard, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So um, next door at my parents' house, um, mm. yeah, he um used to wander around in his robe in his glass yeah, fronted. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like you used to play the golf course, and you could see him just wandering around in his dressing yeah. gown. But he's a uh, good, great guy. If you get to know him, if you understand him, you know what I mean. Yeah. But he's a but like most self-made millionaires, they have their own traits. You know, there's, there's a reason why they get there. You know, and um, and he was very on the ball with with his figures. Figures were his thing. You know. And you had yeah, to deliver yeah. the figures, and it was just, but it was, it was good. Learned a lot, you know. I yeah, mean, but yeah. But um, being being number two, but um, but yeah, uh, you know, being six, seven months here, just kind of yeah. sun, sunshine, and you could just see the money down here, you know, and, uh, and the opportunity. And yeah. I just thought, no, nah, I've got it. it. It was just knocking on the door, you know. So, how did you get started? What was the what was the first plunge? How how did you get started? Well, there was. I realized that there was like, you know, how can works, how can operate is it's a festival for town. 
So like you've got from starting from March right the way through to September, October, you've got big international festivals, you know, like Cannes Film Festival, Cannes Lions, Mipim. So all of a sudden the, the town's dead. And then all of a sudden, and there's just a, a quick over a weekend, like 20,000 people descend in camp, you know? And there's yeah. only seven, there's only 7,000 hotel rooms of three star and above. So all of a sudden you've got 13,000 people looking for half decent accommodation. And that was really hard 20 years ago. There was some good apartments, but not many. Now started to look at it thinking there's a gap in the market to, to cater for the corporate, you know, not, not summer rentals, but for the corporate. So I started just approaching a couple of owners who had properties and a couple of residences and, Started to like look at building a website um, geared towards corporate, and um, and that was how it started. Really, I started in a, I rented a little studio. I slept on the floor. Of that had a little computer in the corner, <laughs> uh, you know that kind of that kind of thing. And th- yeah, just built it from there. But it was all about people who were wanting to rent their property, like it is today. People want a revenue from their investment, you know. So, but a lot of the properties mm-hmm. were run down. They were they weren't managed properly. They were they weren't suitable for corporates, you know. Like French people would leave. You, we would walk in sometimes to do a visit to see if we were going to rent the property. And, like, the wardrobe's full of, like, the granddad's clothes and picture of the family on top of the telly and stuff like that, you know. And we're like, well, all this, this, this just can't. But people, their, yeah. their mentality was, this is rentable. This is rentable. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't rentable to a corporate. Corporate needs, like, hotel standard of, like, hotel suites, spacious minimalistic properties white clear you know like that kind of feeling and there wasn't any there wasn't any so that was where the gap was and i just started building that you know and and um and then we helped investors buy renovate rent and it just kind of built from there it was a long i mean it was a long process you know what i mean but there was a gap and that was the yeah. thing you know but a lot of people were saying oh don't do that you know there's so many people that already do that and i just knew you know, from when I was young, I knew people used, you know, some great advice when somebody said there's there's always room for the best. And yeah. that's like and that kind of always stuck with me. I'm never I'm never afraid to try something, even though there's other people doing it. You know, I think oh, I can be the best at this. Yeah, I think we had a lot of that last year, uh over here. Well, not last year, probably the year before, where you know, the the short term rental game's saturated, everyone's doing it, you know, you can never make money out of it. And, you know, as you say, you I, I I think what people have in their mind as a saturation point and what the actual true saturation point is is probably like mm. two totally different figures. And um, you know we haven't got that now. There's a lot of operators, and I'm sure it's the same down your neck of the woods. Have pulled out the market or flipped them into standard tenancies and just trying to get some money back into their properties. But um, you know it's so the supply is definitely less at the minute. But yeah, I think. I, I had that as well, you know, oh, you don't want to be getting that game. There's too many people in that game already, you know, don't do this. You'll, you'll never make any money out of that. And, you know, you just find your own little way, your own little niche and you build your right partnerships. And then, you know, so so for you, and we've talked about this offline plenty, but you're very MTV, Google, uh, YouTube, all these big corporations. You're kind mm-hmm. of one of their, I guess, partners in, in, their, in the accommodation when they come to these festivals. So yeah. how, how did that happen for you? And, and you know, what's, what would you say won you those contracts? And, you know, mm. Well, uh, it was apparent that it was obviously big corporate clients coming down to Cannes. So that was like my thought process was like, I've got to get hold of these clients. 
These are these are the people we've got to be supplying, not somebody just wanting a two bed and then another person wanting a one bed. We had to get into this big corporate landslide of like big big corporate kinds like MTV, Google, all of these people who were sending like 60, 70 people down at the same time. Mm. And they wanted a standard, they wanted service, they wanted everything to be, you know, on point. So it was all about kind of, you know, building a website. I believe that the website, our website was our shop window because nobody could really see who we were. So I think your web, our website, I kind of realized that if our website wasn't on point um, to a level of like being able to cater for corporate, then corporates would look at us as a supplier. So that was the first aspect. We had to look like we were geared up for a corporate. So the language on our website, the photos we used, that was, there was a lot of psychology involved in trying to build the website to a corporate mindset. So that was the first thing. Um, and then after that, it was more of the factors, you know, MTV was the first client that we landed, the big one. And I started, and then a lot of people are talking about this today, of like how to get into that corporate, you know, the you know, contractors, corporate world and things like that. And and I think where we found is, and I, and I made a lot of mistakes at the start, but you have to start off with that phone call. I mean, there wasn't, you know, 20, I mean, going back 17 years now. So there wasn't the same techniques as, you, you know, LinkedIn wasn't as big. Not everybody was on LinkedIn and, you know, social media wasn't as big. So you had to use like the old fashioned kind of way of just pick picking the phone up, the, just pick <laughs> phone up, you know, and that was, and that was something that I was quite good at because I'd already been in like health club sales which is, you know, and, you know, and um, it's all about needs analysis, finding out what, you know, what the client's looking for, what they need. But it's all about getting to the right person, the decision maker. That's the key. Mm -hmm. If you're not speaking to the right person in the business, then you're just wasting your time. So you've got to yeah. be very, you've got to be very quick at identifying who you're speaking to. You know, that's, that's the key. Are you responsible for this? And they will come back and tell you no. And if they say no, then you need to be going on. You, you can't be selling to that person. There's no point. You know what yeah. I mean? You, you've got to be turning around and putting into her mind or his mind that you are on the phone because you can benefit the company that she works for. Mm. That, that's it. Then you've got to go on to the next step. Because otherwise, if she just thinks you're a time waster and her company's not going to benefit, then she's just going to go, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, and then that phone call might be wasted and you're not getting to the next level. Mm -hmm. It's all about getting to the next step, you know, in the process. So it's how you spoke to that first person. And a lot of the time, we, that was trial and error. We spoke, I spoke to them the wrong way and didn't get through. But eventually you get put to that person and then they get put to another one. And I think MTV took me about six weeks from being on the phone twice a day for six weeks to get to this person eventually in New York who basically turned around and said, yeah, my name's Melanie. I'm in charge of all the corporate accommodation for MTV. How can I help? And that, that um, was it. Yeah. That, that's uh, really interesting there because I guess the question is why, why did you keep going? Because so many people would have quit, right? Mm. Well, I don't, I don't know. I think that's just like, you know, you, you will succeed, isn't it? You, you, you know, you, you, you plant the seed in your head and you, you know, you know that you're just going to go to the end, you know, there's no, mm. there's, until that person I had in my mind, until the person who's responsible for accommodation in Cannes told me no, there was always a possibility it was a yes. 
Yeah. That was that was my so even somebody saying, Oh, I don't know whether we do that or we don't know what no, but I need to hear that from the I need to hear that from the person who booked because I know you hey, come to Cad I know you come to Cad. Yeah. So somebody's responsible for housing all of you. You don't do it on your own. Somebody's responsible in your and I need to speak to that person. So once I spoke to that person, I knew uh, there was no giving up on that way until I'd spoke. If I'd spoke to that person, that person said no. Where you know, even then, I probably wouldn't have give up. I probably would have, you know, said let, let let me let me just rent five apartments to you, just so you can see the standard and the service we give. You know, I don't believe in no. I think that you know, I think you should be always looking to turn a no into a yes. You know, and yeah. um, and that was just the relentlessness of of uh, of getting there. But once I got to that person, then it was about I believe that we can help you increase your staff productivity while they're in can through better accommodation, better service, getting a better night's sleep so that you can then solely rely on one company to provide all of your transportation, all your logistics, your cleaning, your, your transport, airport transfers, your properties, all within a radius of, the, of where you need to be within can. And once you tick all them boxes, they're kind of got a corporate mindset. So they're not, they're not budget first. Yeah, the, the you know the, the obviously budget does come into it. I, I, you know anybody who said it doesn't is lying, but it's not their driving force. Their driving force is to get a seamless provider, a supplier who can deliver. Same with anything that they do. If they're building their stand in the in the events um, space, they want somebody who can deliver that seamlessly on point. Yeah. So once I spoke to her, she was all over it. She was like, I've, I've needed this conversation. She was looking She was looking for us, really, all the time yeah. we were trying to yeah, find yeah. her. And, and once we got MTV, we then leveraged that logo on our homepage of our website, basically saying that we're the official supplier of MTV. And once you've got that, then Google came on board and said, well, look, if, you know, if they're doing all the accommodation for MTV, they've got to be doing something right. Mm -hmm. and, our, and our job was just basically to say that we don't do summer rentals. We are a corporate agency and we're corporate-minded and that's all we want to do. We just want to deliver corporate service. And they were all over it. And they just built like that, you know, just, yeah. just matching the mindset of corporate. That's key. You can't be, can't be like, oh, I'm summer rentals, I'm weekends, I'm corporate, I'm not – if you concentrate on a specific niche, a specific market, then it might take you longer to get good at it. But once you get good at it, that's a solid market that you're in and it's never going anywhere. If you try yeah. to do a little bit of everything, you're never good at one. You know, you never become yeah. a, you never become renowned for a corporate accommodation. The expert in that field. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So what um so obviously you mentioned the season there where they do pile in. Um what do you kind of do in in the seasons when they're not, do, do you just are they just sat empty well, and you accept that or? Yeah, sometimes we don't. We, like I said, we were a corporate agency, so we were doing a lot of the event side of it as well. So a lot of our during the downtimes, a lot of that was logistics and planning for the next year because these yeah. big corporates, you know, they're some of them are, like Google was sending like 120 people, and all arriving within two days of each other. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of there's a lot of logistics to manage of like 120 people arriving on different flights, all getting picked up from the airport, all getting delivered to different addresses. There's not it, 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 there's none of this, um, and everybody gets checked in. 
Yeah, it's not so just it's a lockbox a... on the on the, no, on the door no, 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 and you say, no, get yourself no. to the front door and check yourself. No, in. no, no, no. So we're checking in, like, we're checking in. I think the biggest check-in weekend we ever did was during Can Lions, and we did just uh, from, a, from a Friday to a Sunday, we did just under 410 check-ins. Right. Well, so that shows just the logistic side of it. So you you you're working on that, like yeah, four or five months prior to the festival, anyway. So yeah, get it all. It's like it it is like an they're like well, it's an event. It is an event, isn't it? And you've got to plan for the event, just like the Cannes Film Festival is planning exactly. for the event, the night, the dinner, the 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 stage, whatever it is. It's the same, I guess. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot so, of pre work. It's a lot of logistics yeah. that you've got to plan to make sure that you deliver on the on that day to make sure that everything's in place and systems, you know, we're constantly looking at how you can improve systems. You know, back then there was, you know, PMS didn't really exist. You know what I mean? So, you know, a lot of it automation didn't exist. We were designing our own systems back then and, and, and we were sitting after a festival, we would write down all of the problems that we had so we could address them as a team and say, yeah. how can we, how can we get better? And, you know, as, as we got better, we could in, invest more money in, outbuilding our own system. So we've actually built our own back office of how yeah. we did all of the reservations, how each client was contacted and different things like that, you know? So it was, it was a lot of work. And how, how does how does the back office and the in-house team look in terms of your operation? Obviously, you're at the top, and then what does that kind of look like behind the scenes? Well, we've got, um, we've got 12 full-time staff. So they're, like, running out throughout the year. Yeah, uh, that's like we've got congress managers, we've got event managers, we've got cleaning executives. We like to call them cleaning executives because they feel better about it. And um, and then during the festival, we'd probably increase our staffing level to about sixty. Yeah, because we've got we have to zone. You know, cans like got you know from like one end one end of can to the other is not long, but to be checking people in at you know, on that constant basis, you know, people have arrived and like 10 minutes later, nobody else arriving. We had to zone all of the check-ins. So we might have like 10 check-in managers at that side of the town who are responsible only for that. And then yeah. so they're not having to go from north to south and back in, you know, it's just an absolute mess. But at the start, we were doing that, you know, so we have <laughs> to get from the bottom of Cannes to the top and, they would, and afterwards they'd say that was ridiculous because I and was... And then getting, back to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, but I was late for the check-in and the client wasn't happy, yeah, yeah. you know? So yeah. like, how, do you, how do you solve that? It's like, okay, you have to zone it so you do not go out your zone. And if you're not out your zone, you can be at any front door within seven minutes on your, on your electronic scooter. So, you know, that's how we had to plan it all, you know. But, you know, you get better at it all the time. But Yeah. We, Log- logistics in this game is huge. And, I mean, oh, you're, at a, you're, you're at the next level up. I mean, we're just on the self-check-in system. But even the logistics of making that happen, you, did, you then add on picking up people from airports and, you know, getting them checked in at the door and showing them around all the stuff and, you know, getting them back to the airports when they're hungover and slept in and they're not out their oh, bed and the flight's due. And so it's all, know, I mean, back. it's all kind of, it's all in the data as well. I mean, we realise that if you've got the data of that um, client, then then you can then you can deliver. Because, you mm. know, that like 24 hours before their pickup of the airport, it's automatically, we've got a person in the office who literally texts. We've got a special um automated system where you can text the number from the computer and it sends that text with all of the um 
that information of their flight, who they're sharing the car with, what the address that they're staying at, all of these yeah. different things. So they know when they get into the airport, they don't just say to the driver, right, take me to the car. They say, no, I'm sharing with Ryan and Steve. Where's Ryan and Steve? And we don't allow anybody to share a car who's not on the same flight. Otherwise, if the flight's delayed, then yeah. they're going to delay that one. You know, so there's all these different logistics that you have to, we have check-in managers and hostesses in the airport mm-hmm. to manage the, you know, so they're like a holding area for like, okay, you drive on his way. Because, you know, you just traffic and different things can happen. So it's, it really, it is, it's like a, it's like a military operation type thing, you know, and you've got to try to do it your best and you get better every year. Yeah. You know, because you, you lose, you're working, you're working through the problems that you see. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, are you like me where you kind of have come out of the operations and you just, you know, working on the business more now, or do you still find yourself getting very heavily involved in the operations? I'm involved in it from, from a, from an, I would say I'm involved in it from an executive level in terms of dealing with these big clients because they, I, I believe they need that, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm dealing with like, you know, like Google and Twitter and Spotify, Disney, Fox, Microsoft, and these are kind of clients I've built over the years. So I believe that I'm, I have to stay in it at that level to make sure that, you know, we're keeping them clients. Yeah. Um, and, um, but from an operational point of view, not so much, uh, got to keep your finger on it, of course. But over the time, you know, you've got to train the right people so that you can, you can't run an operation like that on your own. You know what no, I mean? You just, no, you just can't, you can't. So you've got to have them people that you trust who are fully trained, who understand your systems, your processes. And we've got a great, um, you know, Congress manager who's like sits like under me, who who's like the gateway from all of the problems, basically. So like she understands that it's very, very rare something goes above her to me and I've like, yeah. and I structured it that way because I need to feel that freedom of being yeah, able I think, to um, look at the business you know it's about protecting to... the um it, I, I talk about this it's about protecting the key roles so the key roles so you can continue to harvest those relationships with the bigger clients Absolutely. which drives exactly. the drives all the exactly. revenue in you know and, 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 and but if your role is not getting protected then you kind of invest in them and potentially you can lose contracts the whole thing could fall That's down it. yeah well my mental space important. has been yeah my mental space has been tapped into when it shouldn't be you know yeah. so you've got to i mean i would advise anybody who's you know scaling to a certain level to to get that gateway in you know and mm-hmm. work on that gateway you know i was on a clubhouse the other day talking about it you've got to you you know a lot of people saying about the you know my phone's always on or I never feel switched off. And, you know, that's, that's, that's just, I don't, I'm not saying it's bad management, but you have to find that, that, that means either it's not one, scalable. You it's, it's yeah, one, you don't trust your number two, <laughs> you know, to turn your phone off and say, no, no, it's in the, it's in her or his hands. Yeah. Or you feel, or you feel that's like a trust factor or you, you haven't structured your, your processes correctly. And it's only two things, you know. I mean, there's people out there who are running multi, multi million pound businesses with like hundreds and hundreds of staff. There's a reason why they can do that, and it's because of the it's because of the structure of the company and and the trust at the different levels. Like yeah. I can't be I can't be getting involved in line number two's business. She can't get involved with mine. We've all got our jobs, but that's all been outlined previously with the right processes 
So you know, generally, you know, I'll get a call from her, but we've got a good system in place where that gateway is. So like you say, I can harvest the business. I'm mentally free to look at where we're going wrong, where we're going right, what we can invest in, what we can't. You know, and that means, makes me... But also I wanted to do that to be able to release some of my time to spend with my family because I thought that was, you know, that was getting abused when I was building yeah. the business, when I was building the business, you know, and 2008, I nearly lost everything, nearly lost your wife and your kids. And it's like, what's, that's not worth it. Yeah. You know, what I mean? so, you know, you've got to find that balance of like where you want to get to, but also be able to free up your time as well and make sure it is free time. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Like you walk, it's not on like I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to be walking around the park with my seven-year-old boy on the phone. That's not walking around the park with my seven-year-old boy. Yeah, yeah. That's walking yeah. around the park with my seven-year-old boy in a telephone. It's not the same. <laughs> so it's like for me, they were but but again, you can never you can never just start and get to that level. Like I'm like that today because I've spent 20 years with all of the ups and downs and trying to tweak the processes and you know, the, all of these different things to get to where you are. I'm still, still not perfect at it, but yeah. you've got to be constantly freeing up your time to be able to see where the business is going right or wrong or what direction it's going in to be able to see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm firmly on board with all that. And I think, um, you know, if you do want to scale, and you can scale quite quickly in this game now, especially it's so much easier now to probably, as you said, contact landlords contact owners contact developers and pick up properties and then run them in a certain strategy and and make make money from them and everybody wins from it which is you know i think in many in many industries there's normally a winner and a loser whereas i think in our industry there are two winners for every sort of partnership that's created typically and um you know you don't have that exchange battle where it's like oh well if i win you lose um, yes. you know it's we have a win-win i think that's why it can grow quite quickly and um so yeah so i know we've talked a lot about it offline obviously 2020 hasn't been ideal for us and especially for you with the festivals and stuff getting cancelled um they're not coming back this year so you you've told me before um you are you doing anything with the properties different just to kind of get through or is it just a case of where I know your your you, your big contracts don't want to lose the property, so they continue to book even though things aren't happening. Um, is it just a bit of a uh, not time off type of year, but just like really get things robust, systemized, and ready for twenty twenty two? Yeah, yeah. No, it's time off. Absolutely. I mean, it's you know that's what it is. We're, there's no we're not dealing with the logistics of a congress. We're not dealing with the congress. We had to deal with the owners of the properties that we manage at the start um but that was pretty that was pretty straightforward in a way because the can the, the festivals were cancelled everything just needed to be transferred over to a new you know to a new contract for the for the following year which was 2020 to 21 and now we're looking at doing the same 2021 to um to 2022 for the big right. ones so at, at the end of the day we're kind of supporting the owners where we can yeah and uh and um, yeah, and I think that's all we can do right now. I mean, I'm a big believer, is you know, but at the same time, you know, I've got IPRAC as well, so that's kind of fills up a lot of my time being the CEO of IPRAC as well as as AES. But I think you've just got to accept the situation, like you said, just to get as robust as you can in these downtimes of of making sure that when things do come back, that um, you're ready to fly. You know. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to enlighten us a bit about IPROC? I know I've been um, obviously watching from behind the scenes since we met, and you know I can see what the great things that are happening there. Do you want to just mm. tell tell the yeah. listeners a bit about what it is and and sure. why you believe in it so much? I think that's the main thing because I see you're so passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was. I mean, it came. The idea came from like back in 2014 when I when the family were frauded here in Cannes, they lost £15,000 to a villa rental. And that kind of made me underst- like look into it a little bit more, thinking, what the hell can somebody just lose fifteen grand on it on a, on a rental? This is my industry. This is what I love. And uh, so I investigated it, found out what's happening all over the world, just, you know, people getting frauded, rental fraud. So I decided that they had to, something had to change. And I looked around and there was nothing. There was like no specific certification that legitimate operators could showcase that could give consumers confidence to book with them and vice versa you know some, something for a professional operator to show the case that they're a credible trustworthy property agent so iprac was born and that stands for international property rental approval certification it's global we're in 28 countries um Got mem- yeah, members in 28 countries, and that's what we do. We certify trustworthy uh, operators, and they show the IPRAT logo so that consumers can book with confidence through knowing that we guarantee their payments to that, to that member. So many bookings are lost through the trust. Yeah. You know, it's like, and so many people don't realize it because they have that mindset of thinking, well, I'm a trustworthy operator, so automatically consumers should trust me. It doesn't work like that. Because we don't know who our consumer is all of the time and vice versa, our consumer doesn't know who we are and getting them to pay directly us four, five, six, seven grand can be a bit daunting. You know, it's like, "Mm, is my money safe? You know, what's going to happen when I get there? So what they need is they need some kind of guarantee. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we do. You know, that's what. How do you, um, how do you protect yourself on the back end for the, Fraud money, if you know what I mean. So well, if you're guaranteeing own, the money. Yeah, un, yeah, we've got underwriters. So we've got an insurance underwriter that underwrites the all of the bookings because when we go through that really robust process of um, approving a member, we go through a very lot of detail, a lot of supporting documents. So once our underwriter accepts that we've gone through that, our underwriter is quite happy to underwrite the insurance on that payment, knowing that, that member is legitimate, and they're not going to arrive, and and the property doesn't exist. So yeah, it ha- you know, so that was a lot of work to get to get right as well. But we have to be able to provide the consumer that confidence and the guarantee, mm-hmm. so that if something did happen, which wouldn't, and it hasn't happened in five years, but if it did, that that there's an easy process for that member, to, that consumer, to get the money back. Okay, yeah. And mm-hmm. do you say? Is this a fit for a small, say, UK Airbnb business, or are we talking more like the villa, high, higher rental type stuff? No, and I mean anybody who's in the short-term rental space. If you've got, if you're a private owner with one property, or you're an agency with two hundred properties, whatever it is, if you're in that short-term rental space, you can become IPRAC approved because you need you're trustworthy. You're an operator. You want yep. to showcase. You want to showcase that. And that's where it all comes from. So it doesn't. There's no limit. We're a certification. We're not somebody who just looks to be approving, you know, luxury uh, villa management companies. We'll we'll approve anybody who passes our robust, you know, approval process if they're in the short-term rental sector. 
Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're open for anybody. Anybody who's in that short-term space can come iCrack approved. Yeah. And have you got any um, statistics on how it improves conversion ratios on websites or anything like that? Or Yeah, yeah we've got, I mean, statistics show that for the members that we have across the 28 countries, there's an average of about a 40% increase in conversion rate through through the booking because you because consumers can register their booking on the on the on the platform which shows that they're using the platform to to secure their booking which means they've booked with that member that iPrat member because they trust them yeah and that's that's kind of like where we do the statistics with the members a lot of our members are looking at you know they they're probably losing 70% of their inquiries not converting them into rentals just because they get that, you know, well, we'll come back to you. Oh, you know, I'll speak to my husband or, you know, all of this kind of thing. But a lot of the time that comes down to trust and yeah. they just, they're just, they're just not comfortable in booking directly with you. So they might return to an OTA. They might go somewhere else. They might just not book at all. But if you can showcase trust and confidence and a payment guarantee from a third party mm-hmm. verification platform, then that gives them the confidence to say, well, this isn't just Ryan telling me he's great. This is a third-party verification platform yeah. that's that's confirming to me that Ryan is great and trustworthy. That's where the yeah. key comes in, you know. So that's where the third-party f- verification factor comes in. That's what's yeah, we, we we live in this world of reviews and testimonials, don't we? So it's kind of a, another addition to that, really, which is just bolting on the business, but probably a bit more rubber stamp because it's official. And, yeah, exactly. You know. You display yeah. it everywhere. I assume you put this all over your booking.coms, your Airbnbs, your Expedias as well, and as well as your, your market, own site. Yeah, exactly. You market your, your profile. People can book directly with you without problem. And this is what it's all about. You know, It's all about creating that trust for people and confidence and guarantees that people can just book with you because they know that you're part of the IPRAC membership. And that's where – so we're, we're – you know, and it's affordable to, to agents and, and private owners – so that's why you've got to use it as a tool to convert more inquiries into rentals through trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superb. Sounds good. Um, absolute pleasure to have you. I try and uh, keep the episodes yeah. as short and sweet as possible. No, but, no, um, it's been an absolute, yeah, absolute amazing. pleasure to have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No doubt. Um, I'm definitely coming to Cannes at some point. <laughs> I'm going to take you up on one of those yeah. villas. And, Absolutely. Uh, pleasure. And hopefully, um, hopefully things start picking back up for us all, I think. I mean, we're on... As we record this, it's 16th of Feb. It might air a bit later on the podcast. We might even be out of lockdown by the time it airs on the podcast. Who knows? But um, hopefully the world is going to start coming back to normal a bit. I think there's definitely movements towards that here in the UK with the vaccines and stuff. But um, I think the sooner we all just get back to what we're good at, the better. And and everyone gets to travel again. And I think there's going to be a a huge travel boom. So if you are looking to get into this industry, I do think it's a good time to to, to get into it. And um, But... If you're going to be in it as long as Chris has been, you've got to expect the the ups and the downs and uh, ride the waves and, and just make That's sure you it. It's all about riding the waves, you know. There's no easy way to the there's no easy way to the end, you know. The, the end never comes really, does it? You just you just got to learn on the way, man. Yeah, yeah, no, super. Listen, Chris, th- how can people get in touch with you first and foremost? Um, uh, well, the best we if they want to if they want to go to um, it's um, Chris at i-prac.com or chris at aeseventsgroup.com. And you don't hang out on Facebook, you're not on Twitter, you're not on Instagram, but you are on LinkedIn. LinkedIn, and I do a little bit of clubhouse with you, Ryan, which is a pleasure. (laughs) But I haven't got time for the others.
<laughs> Fair it is. All right, buddy. I'll still speak to you soon. And thanks a million. Absolute pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Paul. Bye.